Alrighty, welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Man of Steel one individual minute at a time. My name is Mark. You can follow me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And I'm Nathan. You can also follow me on social media at NoClutchNate, as well as my Instagram page, Clutch Figures. And I'm Alessandro Maniscalco, and you can find me on Twitter at Raverin, R-A-V-E-R-Y-N, and at J-L-U Podcast. All right, welcome back. Sweet deal. And today we're going to be talking about minute number 53 of Man of Steel. Um, This minute ends the last bit of Cal's flight scene, and then it ends with, um, I guess, Lois Lane uh, finds the residence because we're shown back into the home of the Kent family uh, with a dog barking. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a doggo in this scene. Uh, so th- yeah, this minute, the way it starts out is really nice shot. It's a very, um, almost poster boyish Superman. Cause it has like this great pose in the clouds and the way he's just hovering among it. Yeah. You know, it's a really nice shot. I really, I really dig it. It almost reminds me of something out of all-star Superman or the oh, absolutely, yeah. Superman Batman story that was done by, um, Jay Lee. Jay Lee, yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah, it's I like I like um, that he he kind of does that turn around in the air. It's mm-hmm. almost like uh, like a swimmer would he's do. Looking down. Yeah, he's looking down. He he's he's doing it, but like it's still, it's just really it's a good shot. He's in the clouds. He's in the well, sun. Air and water are essentially fluid, uh, fluid. So of course, it makes sense that he would do a similar maneuver in in the air as you would you would in swimming so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but let me take this opportunity just to to mention what i was gonna say last uh episode yesterday yeah um when he when he goes up into i believe he's in the stratosphere but when he's above earth um i think this is a clearly an homage to the uh christopher reeve superman where he you know closes his arms and uh I think Nate mentioned it uh, yesterday when, you know, he, he takes his arms from in front of him and he, he closes them uh, to his uh, his sides. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly replicating the, uh, the, you know, that Christopher Reeve scene from Superman the movie. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like you you can't outright avoid that. Like, you will always have people who believe Christopher Reeve is their all-time favorite uh portrayal of superman and it's like you can't not have it in the film um but i do like that that this film tries to deviate deviate away from it um but it it doesn't mean that it's shouldn't have a place in the film i think i think it's a nice touch here yeah and i don't think it's the only one that we see a callback to christopher reeves i think later later on in the movie we're gonna get another big one so i'll Mm -hmm. say i'll save that in fact isn't there isn't there a frame in that scene where they actually use Christopher Reeve. <laughs> I, is, are we talking about the same one? Joke, joke. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> joke, joke. There you go. That's good. That's a knee slapper, my friend. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, we see him uh, go into orbit, I guess. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful to see that. You see the curvature um, of the Earth. You see, I mean, that's that's almost like, you know... Of course, not many people get to experience that. We see it in pictures and stuff, but, you know, astronauts get to see it when they're up there. But then 
you take this guy who was you know born on a flatland in Kansas and grew up there and and it's just now within the you know the, these couple of days figuring out who he is and what he is like he just ascended into space and he's think, you know seeing the entire world as we, it is we talked about this well, i think it's important to note that he's still in the earth's atmosphere though he's not in outer space sure <laughs> yeah but you can still yeah the view that he gets changes you as a person and i think we talked about this uh, after recording with sam last week but it was like the idea that a person uh like we we think of superman as like a person that has all these powers and like we feel like that makes him uh a different person like we have to like we try to wrap our head around a person with all these different powers um but it's not just that it's not just that we have to think about like oh what kind of person are you if you're given all these powers but like now that you're given these powers you can see earth from a new perspective that you could never do before and that changes you Mm -hmm. um for better or worse but like we talked about like if we like either me or Nathan or you or Sam found out the next day that we were metahuman and we were given powers. Our expectations, like maybe something that we tell ourselves on a daily basis, like, Oh, if I had superpowers or if I had a lantern ring or if I was wonder woman, like we have these expectations of how we would react as a person. And you know, you can never plan that you can never be like, Oh, well, you can never like, those are just merely, what you would aspire to want to be like, but mm-hmm. the day that you actually get powers like that and you're able to like be in Earth's kind of like stratosphere and like see the curvature of the world and like see everything at such a new and Peaceful. Uh, unique angle. Like the way I, I'm assuming, like when an astronaut finally gets to see the world from outside a, a shuttle, like it's got to be so. Um, it's it's got to be mind blowing in in a way that it alters your your reality and yeah um and it it almost seems like who are we to judge Superman the way he he acts when we don't get to see what he sees of course so I think it's this is a this is a great moment and it's a moment that you know if any of us would want to see mm-hmm. yeah I agree with you but I and I also think that this is also a way for him to sort of test his limits because like you said if we were to get powers tomorrow we would certainly want to know to the extent of these powers so i think that's part of what he, he's doing by by going up into space to see exactly you know what he can handle absolutely mm-hmm. i just think it's beautiful and not but not only beautiful in the sense of how it looks visually but beautiful to a person who gets to see it for the first time mm-hmm. and how it changes you uh you know this is still just a kid who's grew up on a farm in Kansas and now you're seeing the world from, yeah. you know, almost outer space. In a way, he's making the world small. There you go. <laughs> um let's see, is there anything left to talk about Superman here cuz we're about to get into about to get into the Lois Lane discovery. Point of um view. I yep. do like that they, you know, of course it kind of it just makes it you don't Again, it's one of those things that you don't think about. It just makes sense when you see it. But when he re-enters the atmosphere, he's he's on. You know, he he has that fireball, just like how a shuttle would, just like how anything. And it's, I mean, it's it's science right there. Yeah. But again, it's it's those things that you you take for granted when you are watching it, 
when you know especially when we go minute by minute we can actually break it down and see it i like that they you know i don't even know if it was an extra step or if someone was just like duh he's got to go in as a fireball he's coming in the atmosphere like okay cool but like let's show it it's both because it's like this is that that break is also the last firework in this whole showcase of Mm -hmm. of fireworks and it even has the cracking of the sound barrier like it's just it's good it's things that 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 called your attention to what he can do it definitely ends on a pow like it doesn't like drift off there's no Mm -hmm. like ellipses it's just like boom like that was great that whole you know three minutes that we just did that was fantastic yeah absolutely uh she's uh so now we're switching back from uh cal l into lois lane with the narrative yep and it's yeah it kicks back up the narrative um basically how do you want to find someone who doesn't want to be found it sounds like she's almost reading the story that she's writing yes yeah i think so yeah i think it is um but i don't know is it a continuation from the article that she wanted to leak or is it a new one probably a new one it's a new one because when she was when that article got leaked and she was with glenn woodburn it was that was it like she, she ended it you know her her story ended because she was left on that <laughs> that ice rock yeah exactly <laughs> so so like this is i guess a new story and i don't even know if it's a story that she publishes or if it's just something that she's you know because she's a writer because she does it it just comes naturally to her mm-hmm. so it makes sense for her mm-hmm. to be the narrator at this moment um but yeah but it's well either way you Either way, it makes sense that it, something she would discover that she would write about it because that that's in her nature. That's yeah. What she does. Oh, of yeah. course. She's, she's she's not a woman. She's a journalist. There you go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's gonna want to find out um, the truth at all costs. Um, so she's this is her line is basically uh, setting us up for this whole investigation bit um, where she wants to track down this alien, and it starts with her basically going. Uh, Tra- uh, trailing down the breadcrumbs of the Arctic Cargo, the Ellesmere Pub, uh, the Debbie Sue uh, crab fishing boat, mm-hmm. the Coast Guards, and then Pete Ross. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty interesting. I-, I don't know if Jed Eubanks is the person that they show in the Arctic Cargo, but um, it- it's nice to see how it trails back. Yeah. Because we've all seen these people play out in the opposite directions and now she's like hunting down each one um my little thing that i noticed and it's probably nothing important but when she does stop by the ellesmere pub the lady that was working there uh chrissy mm-hmm. she says that he was only working there for a few minutes uh, someone, <laughs> it someone, sounds someone, like minutes yeah <laughs> it was weird uh someone brought up it was like yeah i think they said they worked there for a few months and I, you know watching the minute i really try to listen in and every time i played it, it sounded like minutes and i was like you're telling me that guy got in a fight and beat up someone's truck in minutes? In minutes. <laughs> like, why would you even hire that well, guy? we could always put on the closed captioning. And I think it just has Lois's. I think it just has Lois's speech coming on through it. Through it all, it's like. Oh yeah. I don't know. I have this is. I actually haven't put on any closed captioning when I've been going minute by minute with this. <laughs> I probably should. This yeah. is definitely a thing where we need to to go back and look for. But but yeah, I assume that it was months. Um, if you listen really closely, it sounds like she says minute. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're about to say minutes, but then it could be months, and she might have an accent. I don't know. It's all good. 
it doesn't really hurt the film or support it in any way, so it doesn't really matter. But to me, I was like, uh, if, th- if they're saying minutes, that seems kind of weird for a guy to like get into uh, a truck altercation or something. And then just leave and have your dishwasher <laughs> busboy walk out like yeah, minutes we after just hiring. hired that like, guy. Like, <laughs> what? Where'd he go? <laughs> that thing. Oh, so. man. Then they got to call in another one, and the guy that answers is like, it's my day off, man. I'm not coming in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so eventually, uh, Lois Lane. Oh, and this also, yeah, with the whole Coast Guard bit. I think we talked about it, like, very long ago. Like, how are those guys not freaking out about the whole Coast Guard thing? But, you know, this oh, explains yeah. it. Yeah. This explains, like, you know, they're, you know, in the time of need, they were like, we just need to get off this oil rig. And now they've had time to reflect, like, wait a minute that guy was holding up a steel beam and we were able to get out of there like yeah. that doesn't how does that work and so he's telling lois lane that whole story which is really interesting to kind of see that called back to because because that guy's a hit at parties now well yeah that yeah that too he's but got a like, great story only him and lois and i think some other people like or maybe just well not the arctic cargo but maybe Chrissy, because she might have found out about the truck. But I don't think anyone there really put two and two together. Um, but definitely him and Lois have been people that they're like, yo, that guy can do stuff that is not normal. Yeah. And then, what do you, yeah. Because, I mean, the captain of the Debbie Sue just like, I don't know, he was a new guy, and then all of a sudden he was just <laughs> gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't hand me my binoculars, and he just dipped. <laughs> still waiting for those binoculars yeah like maybe that's why that guy like shied away from lois because he was like no that that guy was an asshole he just left my boat when when we were in the middle of working yep yeah um he's got a grudge against there are a few things there are a few things that i want to say absolutely go Uh, ahead man firstly um i just looked it up and it was months okay Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh secondly uh I don't know if you guys have mentioned this already, but this movie borrows heavily from uh, Superman Earth One Volume One. Yeah, that's Chazinski. Uh, the, the story, yeah, the story is taken basically right out of these pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of that in the beginning, it shows Clark exploring the world and trying all these different jobs, and we see that at the beginning of this movie. Yep. So I think this is a. Lois going backwards is a, a nice reminder of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, sorry, go it, ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to call back to what you were talking about, Earth One. Yeah, we mentioned it way, way long ago, but um, I believe okay. uh, through the, the making of this movie, um, J. Michael Straczynski was, was closely shadowing um, Snyder as he was you know, directing it and, and putting this together, as well as Goyer when he was writing it. So, I mean, we do get it a lot in the volume one, especially the beginning of this movie and, and that book. But then when the Zod fight comes into into play, like, that's all uh, volume three. And that was, like, they, they were well, really involved see, in that. <clears throat> but see, not exactly. I, I think the story is still the same, except they're swapping villains. Because in volume three, we find out that the villain in volume one was sent by Zod. Mm-hmm. So that's how it sort of links that together but ultimately the storyline if you were to swap out uh, i forget forget the villain's name but if you swap out that character with zod it's essentially the same story uh, isn't in, there a world engine in the earth one yes yeah and then yes. i think well, who is it parasite i think was the second it was that the second one okay. and that was in the second one right? okay yeah i can't even remember the, the, the first, first one. one had the 
Nope, that was still the second one where I was going to say the the war, the the warlord in it. Nope. Uh, gosh, it's on the counter. Maybe we should flip through. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, we'll look at it. Um, but yeah, I like I like that you that you took a took a notice into into bringing up Earth One. Um, it was one of my favorite Superman stories. Uh, that I read, um, you know, more recently. It was really good. It was a great take on the character. Absolutely. You and know, I think uh, a lot of Dawn of Justice uh, plays uh, takes from Volume 2, actually, mm-hmm. which I mentioned in our podcast. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, as far as Lois going back and following the breadcrumbs, I think an important element to this for uh, for that BBS is that, you know, someone who has a lead like this and, and has the know-how and resources can, and we see it in practice, that they can figure out Superman's identity. And so when people question how does Lex know uh, Superman is Clark Kent, you know, I mean, I think, I don't think it needs an explanation. I think we see how he knows based on what we see Lois do in Man of Steel. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not like, uh, again, we're dealing with a very novice Superman here. Like, people are going to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only, you know, Batman has been much more, you know, careful and aware, and, like, he's able to hide it. But Superman, this is just a guy who's trying to do the right thing, and, he, like, he knows he should be hiding it, but he does a terrible job at it. So, it like, it doesn't, like, it wouldn't make sense if Lex didn't know who could like could figure out who anyone was because Lex Luthor, such an intelligent being that like he can't fall for something like that. It only makes sense that he does. Um, I mean, you could say the same for Bruce as well. He figures it out. Yeah, I think he figures it out. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. that that Superman is Clark Kent. Yeah, that was. I guess uh, I don't. I don't mean to jump over any you know hurdles or anything, but in Dawn of Justice at the party sequence. I've I've always had this question: Do all three characters know exactly who they are? Like Lex knows that Clark is Superman. Uh, does he know that Bruce is Batman? And does Batman know that uh, Clark is Superman? In in that particular moment, I know you guys touched on it a little bit in your podcast. Um, but clarification? Yeah, my well, my my interpretation was that Lex obviously knows that Clark is Superman and that Bruce is Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's part of, that's part of his plan. Actually, he, by then he knows that Bruce is Batman and he wants to work with Bruce as a human to take down the metahumans. Okay. Yeah. Because they were personally Uh, invited to the party. Yeah. Now Clark figures out that Bruce is Batman, or at least he gets his first hint of it when he hears him talking to out, when he hears Bruce talking to Alfred. Mm-hmm. And then from there he figures it out. So when but he's que- that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, when he's questioning him, you know, especially in you know that scene where he's like, you know, civil liberties are being you know stepped upon and everything. Is he piecing together at that moment that Bruce is Batman, or is he exactly just probing? Yeah, yeah. No, but, he at that point he figures he he's thinking this guy must be Batman, and that's why he's questioning him about this. Okay. But as far as Bruce, the way I see it, he doesn't know that Superman is Clark Kent until uh, until the very end when he's got the kryptonite spear over his head and Lois, you know, comes in yelling his name. 
Okay. And that's when he's like, wait a minute, this guy is the same guy that I saw earlier, you know? Yeah. So even with the whole, uh, you know, uh, freaks dressed as clowns, like he's not particularly firing a shot at Clark Kent. He's just firing at the whole notion that the Daily Planet is praising this character. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think um, I always thought Bruce knew, but it kind of makes more sense that because if he knew, then he would know who Martha Kent is and Kent family and all that. He would have done his research by then. Yeah. So he shouldn't know who he is. Yeah. Okay. Right. Or he would have known that, you know, that he's just a nice guy doing good. Hmm. And, but he, in in his mind, he's Superman is just this extraterrestrial that's you know above us and doesn't probably doesn't even suspect that he's living among us as as a human. He probably just views him as some godly figure that's you know looking down at us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. And I... by the way, and by the way, the villain in Earth One Volume One is Tyrell. There you go. <laughs> Tyrell, great name. <laughs> Um, no, that, well, that changes my opinion about that whole scene for the better. That, I like that. That makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, Sweet. <laughs> perfect. Um, so yeah, this, going back to this minute, it leads us to the, um, Lois Lane finding about Pete Ross. And by learning about Pete Ross, we get to see Pete Ross again, who was at one point the, the kid in the school bus that bullied Clark Kent. Uh, when he was uh, 13? Yeah, 13. 13. Yeah. When he was 13. Yeah. And uh, he saves him, and now uh, we actually haven't gotten to the middle flashback where he's still 13, the other one where he's bullied. Oh, yeah, we no, gotten we, we haven't yet. gotten there yet. Um, but we do know at this point that Pete Ross does think differently of Clark Kent. Um, but he still gives up his whereabouts? Yeah, you would think. I don't... I don't it's almost like it doesn't the continuity is a little bit off and then especially if you watch you know the end of Dawn of Justice when Pete Ross shows up at the funeral it's like why would he give out a, gi- yeah why would he out him why would he give up that information and I don't know if it's well, just going we don't back know, to we don't know what Lois said to him you know she could be very persuasive yeah that's what I was going to say like <laughs> I don't know if if this is just going back to Lois's you know superpowers with her you know Jedi mind tricking people if she if she can you know <laughs> yeah no, to, I, to try to get and she, you know, and she might have sworn, you know, that she wouldn't repeat it, you know, off the record, you know. Yeah, and because because if she, let's say she she came to him and said, you know, he saved my life, I wanted to thank him, you know, then that sort of approach, Pete would probably be more likely to, you know, say, oh well, you know, who might know about this person is, uh, you know, check out the Kent's house. Okay, maybe didn't even say, you know. Arkin is this guy. Yeah, he was just involved in the accident, that's all. Okay. So, yeah. That right. Could, and then process of elimination. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, that Pete Ross, in this minute, he's played by uh, Joseph Cranford, is the actor that plays him. This is the, pretty much the only thing he does uh, is play Pete Ross in these films, so that's kind of interesting. There's really no um, background for him. Um, but this Pete Ross as a character is uh, a manager of an IHOP. Yeah. Could you believe it? No, I cannot. Not <laughs> until I saw it. <laughs> uh, so apparently in past history, he's been vice president to mm-hmm. Lex Luthor when Lex Luthor was president in certain timelines of the DC universe. Um, 
Married to Lana Lang. Yeah. Yep. Is it a slap in the face, kind of like a Jimmy Olsen, kill, like getting killed off? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a slap in the face. I think it's supposed to play to the notion that this version of Clark um, doesn't have a strong friendship with anybody. Going back to what, you know, when he was uh, a child, you know, with the whole super senses and everything, when, when he was looking at the kids in his x-ray vision, they're saying, he, you know, his parents don't even let him play with the other kids. I think that's supposed to play into a bigger role where he, he doesn't have these friends. You know, Lana, I guess, uh, we don't see any relationship between Lana and Clark. We barely see a relationship between Pete and Clark. So it's like, I, I think it's just a, supposed to play that. I think I think it's just like one of those... Oh yeah, he lives in my town. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he's got some powers, but I keep it on the hush hush. It may also be a commentary on bullying. Yeah. On how, you know, he bullied he was a bully in high school and then look where it got him. So Oh, as a as a manager of IFA. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Karma. Oh well. You ever heard that word? Yeah. No, I'm I'm waiting for the the hate mail that maybe a manager of IHOP is listening to this and be like, "Hey man, I'm not a bully. <laughs> you guys are doing me wrong." Like, yeah. So, hey, hey, yo. Just cook your eggs a little bit longer, and you know, I'm sure your restaurant is doing fine. <laughs> oh hey man, man, people gotta eat. IHOP is great. That's true. It's true. They got those red velvet. I actually know a manager of IHOP, and he's a really nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that's perfect. Um, But, yeah, it could play on the whole bully aspect where, you know, especially a small-town guy where he amounts to just, you know, maybe the manager of an IHOP is, hey, he's the manager of the IHOP in Smallville. Like, oh, man. That could also be true. Yeah, Yeah, you never know. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to dog on anyone that, you know, works at a restaurant because I've been there. Um, absolutely and it's like yeah, I've been a manager so hey you know whatever yeah been there done that Um, but yeah it is it is nice to see the the callback to Pete Ross and see like to see that character um, have a little bit of an arc as well I think it's important and I guess it is important to show that uh, the Superman doesn't really have a strong support like friends wise like he doesn't have his Jimmy Olsen he doesn't have his Pete Ross, because if you're trying to make a dynamic character who's like, we're trying to make a really grounded and uh, multi sided Superman character, uh, he has to have conflict. And if he's got to have conflict, he can't just have, you know, a plethora of like buddies that are just going to be like, hey man, like just keep doing a great job. Like, it's true. He can't have that. He's got to have, he's got to be in a world that's almost devoid of hope so that he can be the hope. And I think that's. That's you can't have Pete Ross and Jimmy Olsen always hanging out with him and being like, "You're doing great, kid." Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, and I think uh, his isolation from, you know, one-on-one relationships with humans is an important aspect of him embracing the planet as his own. It's sort of him struggling with, you know, being an outsider. Yeah, exactly. The struggle, like he has to have some some struggle and some conflict, so he can't just. They can't parade him with friends. Yeah. Um, which I think is important. Um, but, yeah, this minute does end with Lois finally um, discovering the Kent farm. Uh, she's getting very close to finding out who uh, Superman is. And the minute ends uh, with this dog barking. I don't know the dog's name. I think that it might be in the next minute. But I guess it's nothing 
that's a staple of Kent family. It's just they were like, oh, it's a farm family. They got to have a dog, right? He's got a dog. Sometimes he's got a cat. There was actually what was that? Oh my god, it was heartbreaking in that in the newer rebirth thing where Jonathan, the son of Lois and and Clark, has a cat. It gets snatched up by a hawk. Oh, yeah. oh my god, it was so yeah. sad. But then Earth One again, <laughs> he's got a cat, and then that was even more heartbreaking. Oh my god, that <laughs> what? You, I don't think you've read the Earth One thing, but man, there's a story about a cat where he's got oh, it's. Oh, oh. Makes you oh, cry. Oh, Earth One, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> makes you cry, yeah. man. But yeah, there's a, there's a dog, there's a cat, maybe there's some birds hanging around, maybe you found a snake at one point, maybe the cat ate the snake. <laughs> Animals, dude. I'm going to hug my cats after this uh, recording. Yeah, there you go. My, <laughs> my two cats, Zeus and Hades. Um, at least we'll always have Dexter, right? <laughs> oh, God, get out. What? He's cool. I like Dexter. Uh, if he was in a Green Lantern film, I'd pay money just to see any Red Lantern, really. But you know. isn't okay? So that new Injustice game is coming out, and mm-hmm. Atrocitus is supposed to be in it. Isn't isn't his entrance? Isn't Dexter on his shoulder? Dexter, yeah, Dexter is his character ability okay. that he gets to use, and apparently. Atrocitus is a terrible character to play as unless you use Dexter. So a little hint for you guys right there. All right. Because a lot of people don't like they don't want to use Dexter, which is thing. I'm not getting into it. Welcome back to Injustice <laughs> Minute. <laughs> and where we teach you how to play the video game. Yep. <laughs> Spam that cat. Yeah. It's the title of this episode. Dexter has a really sad story. Yeah, that's why <laughs> yeah. Because you were talking about sad cat stories and that's why yeah. I was like Dexter, because his story like it makes you an angry person just you know the the life that he went through so yeah um next time on dexter minute we're gonna <laughs> talk about he's <laughs> a cool character um but that's all i got for this minute sorry we should be talking about dogs we're talking about cats yeah um i did notice that um martha's wearing a sears shirt and she Do you we, know we, i don't we, think we see martha in this minute yeah, we're, we haven't gotten. Oh to that yet. no! <laughs> nope, not yet. All right, I'll erase all that. But yeah, um, that's all I got for this minute. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, Alex. Uh, I was gonna comment on the dog, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> what do you? Oh, you can comment. What's on What me. are you gonna say about the dog? Well, first I was gonna say, um, I mean. Do you like the design the of this dog? She has a, <laughs> How's the, the concept art? Did it translate well to film? The, <laughs> well, the fact that she has a dog means that she replaced the old dog. Because um, we know that... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, no, that dog survived, Wait, is this it? the same dog? No, it's not the In same the dog. It's not the, the same dog. Oh, okay. But um, I actually... what um, I was looking at um, the content that we were going to cover in these podcasts, and... Uh, I got to thinking about that scene um, where they go and save the dog. So it's funny that you should mention pets and animals. And I was at, and I know that I'm not actually we're not actually covering that that scene, but I figured let me mention it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always had a a problem with that scene, and I always thought I had a problem with the scene as in as in as insofar as the way it was written, but. Over time, I, I've come to realize that the way it was written was just fine. I, I think my issue is the 
realisticness, the realism of someone actually going to save their dog. Um, and Because here's the thing. When you're driving, you're taught not to veer for animals. And so the psychology of risking a human life to save a dog... And I understand that people, I don't have a, I've never had a dog. So I, you know, I can't speak from someone who, who's had a pet. Um, but that, the notion, that idea of save, you know, putting a human's life in danger to save a dog didn't sit well with me. And I, and I always thought, wow, the scene wasn't written really well. And, but, but over time I realized, no, actually the scene was written well. It's, it's people that I don't understand, you know, risking their lives for their pets and, and, Again, since I don't have a pet, I guess I, I just don't understand it because of that. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. That's that could it could be it could be why. Um, judging from personal experience, I've had dogs all my life. Um, a few years ago, I was actually walking my dog, and I was going to go cross the street, and there was a car that was like turning onto the corner that I was crossing, and I just didn't even think about it. Like it's so it's such a blur to me now that I have to remember it, but I. I, you know, I, I pulled back my dog. I scooped him up in my hands, but then I turned my shoulder. I was in the middle of the road, and this car, it was at night. Obviously, he didn't see me. He was texting, whatever the hell he was doing. But I picked up my dog in, you know, <laughs> superhuman speed, and I, I held him to my body. I pulled him in close, and I sh- shied my shoulder to the where the car was coming, and I actually got hit versus, you know, my dog even – getting clipped by the tire or anything like that but i got hit by i broke the guy's mirror off uh i had a giant bruise on my arm so like i think it is it might be that playing into if you have pets you will do that especially if it's like you know a dog or anything of of the sort um i mean even you know mark's got cats would if your cat you know fell off the balcony over here wouldn't you try to oh, yeah. dive I mean, after like, him or something like my that? cats are assholes but like yeah. i still <laughs> save them yes yeah, it might just be that mentality again humans are weird man i don't know why i i, I mean i i do know why i picked up my dog and, and saved him from getting hit by a car but at the same time i i did risk my own self I, I was standing in the middle of the street and i you know only got hit by you know the, the mirror the side mirror of the car so again i don't know so, yeah, weird, so over time, so realizing that I, I've I've come to uh, appreciate that scene more, I think, and it also sets a good example for Clark. And, Absolutely, and he certainly learns from that for when he becomes Superman. Of course, yeah, because uh, again, it goes back to last week's minutes. At what point do you stop considering a certain species as equals? And, yeah, you know, like you can't be like oh humans are like special we got to make sure we protect them like no protect all life man yeah of course <laughs> so um that's all i got for this minute what that's about good. you guys no that's good that's a good end to it yeah that's all i got all righty cool well we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this minute guys uh don't forget to rate subscribe do all that jazz please leave us a good review it helps us with the rankings on itunes and all that uh you can follow us on all social media at dcu minute and don't forget to check out Alex and Sam's podcast, the Justice League Universe podcast. And we'll catch you guys tomorrow here on DC Cinematic Minute.